Hey, everybody, coming up on the Matt Townsend Show today, the two leading causes of divorce are, number one, marriage, number two, money, and it just so happens that we'll be talking about both up here on the Matt Townsend Show right after the news with Sam McCall. Good afternoon. I'm Sam McCall for Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. With just five days left until next Tuesday's presidential election, both campaigns are back on message after a brief truce due to Hurricane Sandy. President Obama and his team have resurrected the 2008 campaign slogan of change, and the president says he's the only candidate who will act actually fight for it. On the other side, Mitt Romney and his campaign are criticizing the president as a lover of big government who will work to expand bureaucracy if he is given another term. Romney is spending the whole day in Virginia trying to win over the last of the undecided voters, while the Obama campaign is spreading out more, visiting Wisconsin, Nevada, Colorado, and Ohio all today. Penn State's former president is now the latest man to face criminal charges in connection with the Jerry Sandusky child sex abuse scandal. Graham Spanner is facing perjury and obstruction of justice charges for the part he supposedly played in a widespread effort to cover up the scandal. Spanner was forced to step down last year after Sandusky's arrest, and he denies any knowledge of the child abuse. Two other high-ranking school officials have also been charged with lying to the grand jury that initially investigated the case. In the aftermath of Hurricane Sandy, New York City Mayor Michael Bloomberg has officially endorsed President Barack Obama for re-election based on his climate change record. In a recent opinion article, Bloomberg stated that while the recent harsh weather that has been hitting New York and other cities around the globe may not be connected to overall climate change, the chance that it might be should compel all lawmakers to act. He also says the Obama administration has taken significant strides in reducing carbon emissions, while the Romney team has been backtracking on climate control positions that Romney held when he was governor of Massachusetts. As if losing all seven Tour de France titles wasn't enough, now the International Olympic Committee has announced an official investigation into Lance Armstrong's bronze medal from the Summer Games in 2000. The International Cycling Union has erased all of Armstrong's performances from 1998 onward, which leaves the 2000 Olympics right in the cyclists' alleged doping years. The Olympic Committee has an eight-year statute of review for challenging results, but the IOC president says there may be ways around the time constraint. You're listening to BYU Radio on Sirius XM 143. I'm Sam McCall. Good afternoon, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. I'm your host, Matt Townsend, your relationship coach, your guide on the side. We do what we can on this program every Monday through Friday, 5 o'clock Eastern, to help you and your loved ones grow healthier, happier lives, to give you a leg up in this crazy thing we call life. You know, it doesn't come with a manual. We just have to figure it out as we go. And so we brought together the most incredible team of humans period. And they're Thank here to help you. us. I, uh, you are the most incredible team of humans who are going to help us unravel this thing called humanity. What, what time is this, this group coming? 
<laughs> well, yeah. They're, I think they're coming on a tour in about a half hour. Oh, cool. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you think that was funny, Sky? Yes. No. Sky, <laughs> don't start with me, man. Okay. Halloween. I went out, walked, I don't know, 70 miles, um, packing candy and wrappers because my son would eat his candy as fast as he would get it. So I came back with a million wrappers and a real hyped up child. And my wife was mad because I hyped up my kids. That's pretty funny. It's funny how the dads just kind of walk together or the moms. They were moms. And we just kind of walk and the kids run. And it just is the lo- it just seems like a really long night. It just kind of keeps going. And then I get back and then I have another child at home waiting who wants to go out more. So I thought, you know, maybe my wife ought to go. And she's like, we're good. Nobody needs to go. Nobody (laughs) needs to go. It's also interesting how some of my children are very efficient at door-to-door sales um, or Halloween trick-or-treating. And some are not very efficient at all. Like I had a son that brought home 5,000 pounds of candy. That's a lot of candy. He was out less time than the others. And the other child, I guess he ate most of his. But um, seriously, one kid, they were out about the same amount of time. One was out maybe 20 minutes longer, but came home with 177 pieces of candy. I mean, that's after he got rid of 10% because we did a little tithing thing. (laughs) So we took all of his candy and um, I did a tax. So they had to pay dad a tax. You know, because I'm paying the bills. <laughs> Hello. That's kind of a smart so idea. Are you just offering him is it like protection money? You uh-huh. give dad the 10%. Yeah. Dad will make sure Nothing will nobody else gets in. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. And I'll make sure you have other food tomorrow and that the water's turned on so you can bathe. <laughs> then I did a tithing. We did a tithing, which is, you know, that one's got to go to the church. But the tithing, we actually took 10% of their candy and gave it to um, our church. Did you know that, that our church wanted the candy? Our little neighborhood church wanted the candy so that the, uh, the, the teachers in, that are over the primary in the Sunday school could bribe the children and, and give them something, give them a <laughs> treat for great. their birthday. That is so a good we idea. That's genius. Isn't that brilliant? I wish I had that. Yeah. It's really well, smart. And so then, it all just comes back to the kids you know, anyways. It always comes back to the kids. Yeah. And here's the irony, because we have a lot of candy left over. And my wife says, do you want to take some of that candy to work with you? And I'm like, Whoa. no, Matt, what? I don't. You didn't bring us any no. candy. Oh. But I didn't. What is that all about? Yeah. <laughs> and now that I think about it, that was rude. <laughs> yes, but it is. I don't want you to get. Uh, I don't want you to get out of shape. Oh, thanks for the consideration. Actually, tomorrow I'll bring you candy because we have a lot <laughs> of candy. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, I've like when growing up, they would take. Like, we could eat as much as we want for, like, two days, but if there was, like, any leftover, and they would monitor it, like, only, like, 20 pieces per day or something. Really? Whatever we had leftover. It's a lot of work. They said that they would donate it to kids that didn't have candy, but I really doubt that. I think they just ate it. No, they just ate it. Yeah. No, let me just let really you in on like, a few parenting secrets. <laughs> don't eat it at all. Yeah. Parents kind of are inherently lazy with their own kids. <laughs> and so to donate it would take time, energy. We did it because they asked us to turn some candy back to the you know but are there even places that ask for candy dentists oh i have dentist friends that will buy the candy from you by the pound and you take your candy to them they weigh it and then they pay you so much which just basically it's a loss leader because we end up spending 10 times more to go back into that dentist (laughs) so it's just but yeah dentists will pay 
I don't Funny. know. I, apparently in Sweden, you know, they'll take garbage, so they may they might take candy. <laughs> they'll probably take candy. And pay for it. So uh, what did you guys do for uh, Hallowed Eve, Halloween? I was in the library writing papers till really late. I was on campus Scary. for over 12 hours yesterday. Were you really? Yeah. Yesterday was like my busiest day. In Kendall, do you time. remember what our show was on yesterday, Skyboy? Procrastination. Procrastination. <laughs> yeah. And you, did you learn your lesson that you I don't procrastinate your papers? Yes, I learned. Because when you do, you lose the chance to go get candy and to dress up like. I was just banking on you bringing me candy today, but. Guess not. Actually, I have a Heath bar you. if you'd like a Heath bar. I don't really like Heath bars. Uh, it's funny, my <laughs> kids would say, hey, what's a Heath bar? And I'm like, ooh, do you know licorice? And they're like, yeah, because my kids hate black licorice. They're like, yeah. And I'm like, it's nothing like that. But <laughs> it just reminds, I don't know. But dad likes it. So you, I don't know. And then you he probably just, He threw will. it at me. He couldn't get it away from him fast enough. See? Quite clever way to keep it out I of your kid's hands. I didn't lie. I just said, you know licorice? And he's like, yeah. Boom. That's all I needed to say. <laughs> <laughs> it's the coolest thing. My kids are very, very persuadable. Manipulatable, manipulable, gullible, gullible. Not that I manipulate them. Um, uh-huh. So you did nothing, Skyboy. You did papers. Yeah, that's boring. Tyler, what'd you do? <laughs> oh, you know, just hit up a couple parties. Nothing big, really. Laying, low. but all we did was eat chili and like play apples to apples. I mean, it wasn't like there was anything bad going on. Wow, chili and apples. Plus, I was wearing my later hosen. If you know what those yes, are, yes, I do. Looked wow. pretty good in them too. What? Uh, <laughs> Really? Got Were the there... legs for Lederhosen. Uh, yeah, I tell you, it's hard. <laughs> you got to have the legs. So, uh, and that's it? That's That was your night? Yeah, that was basically it. Then I came home and slept. Gosh. You guys are boring. Rob, what'd you do? Oh, I had a great night. Did I it involve home, chili and Lederhosen? I cooked some of my own dinner, uh, potatoes and eggs, and I sat down, and I thought, special occasion, I decided to sit down and watch a PBS Frontline documentary on Citizens United and the impact <laughs> it's had on Montana politics. Holy and actually, it was actually cow. quite interesting. Oh, wow. That sounds horrible. Cricket. <laughs> if, I'm trying to get Sky to play some cricket sounds. I'm gonna. You guys, this is like <laughs> honestly, they had more fun at the senior center where we took our kids to. Okay, I think that I had enough fun for all of you guys. What did I you? Guess. Do? Oh, you dressed like a, a pirate. pirate. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Pretty fun. Um, so yeah, I actually went to Institute last night, which was, it's like a religious education in the middle of the week. That was a lot of fun. I got to see a bunch of old friends there. Then afterwards I went to two different dance parties and because all my classes were canceled for today, I stayed up with my Why best friend. Why were your friend. classes canceled? Um, one teacher, uh, I think that he's going out of town. The other oh, one, uh, she had an apartment no, thing. It's a sugar, it's a sugar high. <laughs> what do they call that? Uh, the next day, um, sugar low. Yeah, it's like a hangover. Sugar hangover. <laughs> hangover. All the teachers but, couldn't work today. Yeah, but I was able to sleep over at my best friend's house, so that was fun. fun. Yeah, that's it. Good. You guys, okay, we're gonna have to pep this up because <laughs> um, I think I'm pretty sure that with my seven year old and three fathers and about six other kids, we had more fun than all of you combined. What Probably. is not fun about watching a PBS documentary? Uh-huh. What's about not? Montana politics? Well, it wasn't about Montana <laughs> politics. It was the effect of big decisions in Washington and how they affect the, you know, okay, good Rob. old common folks or the people of uh, you Montana. Know. See, Montana. at least if you had watched Montana. like 
a scary movie, that would have been, you know, somewhat festive. I but, think, well, it's kind of scary. I think it's Hannah Montana. people on Main Street. <laughs> Was Hannah Montana involved in this documentary? That would have been scary. No. Hmm. no. Well, let's just say you are all boring. Um, but what? it's good. I mean that in the best way possible. But, you know. Me. You need Well. You had a good time. Yes. But <laughs> this is where you're, this is the season. This is the season where you could be anything you wanted to be. You could have been Elvis. You could have been uh, Gangman. Gangnam style. Gangnam style. Okay, the best costume that I saw by far was a guy who had an Obama mask. I thought that was pretty clever. Really? Yeah. That was as good as it got? Mine definitely. I, I saw Bob Ross on campus. I mean... Bob Ross? You don't know Bob Ross? He no. was on, uh, what was it, CBS or PBS? PBS. Oh, he was no. a painter the guy. Painter guy. Bob Ross. Yeah. Yeah, and he paint. was painting a picture. Yes, it was really good. I loved Bob Ross. That's now, cool. he's passed away, but, oh, yeah, he used to talk like this. <laughs> and we're just going to put a little mound right here. Put some nice little clouds up here. Let's do some clouds. Up. I loved Bob trees. Ross. Somebody, I that's, don't remember oh, this. Holy <laughs> cow. Now I get it. There were kids dressed like Bob Ross. <laughs> Big afros and and uh, like silky Talk about delayed from reaction. The 70s. I could not figure out what they were, but it was Bob Ross. That sounds what like disco. Something? people not Bob Ross no they they were carrying paintbrushes oh Oh, yeah if it was paintbrushes but if it (laughs) had been like with leopard print pants it could have been like a guy from LMFAO or something like that well that just is sick okay (laughs) anybody got some human news because, you know, there's nothing more human than I, Halloween. I but totally do. There's some pretty cool stuff going out there. That, now, the human news, if you don't know, every one of us, the good, the bad, the ugly, there's just things that humans do. Some of them are pretty amazing. Some of them are just amazing things that have happened, you know, during our life that are just interesting. And uh, some are illegal. We're going to mention Big all of them. Big Star Wars <laughs> news this week, of course, you've heard. Huge. Yes. Go for it. Somebody is building a life-size replica of the Millennium Falcon. Well, I haven't heard that. Why would they do where? First of all, where? Well, uh, Tennessee. In a trailer park, guaranteed. And they have, <laughs> well, they, they need some space. I, yeah, I you need you a lot of room. This is going to take some serious money. Life-size replica, 114 feet long. Oh, their property values uh, are going to 30 drop. feet high. <laughs> well, I don't know because I'd almost pay a couple bucks to go see that. Would you they... want to live by it? No, but <laughs> but they're using so, <laughs> probably not three D printing, which is becoming bigger and bigger. One of these days, I want to go see a three D printer because it's cool. It's really cool. You've seen one, yeah. They're Pretty using sweet. a three D printer. Oh, this to is where it prints out. Yeah, all the little intricate parts that you see in the film. Hmm. Are they going to live in it? No, no, no. I no, totally no, would. No. Oh, That'd it's be just so really going to be a model. I'm the, thinking, yeah, of like, like, you can walk inside it and. Huh. Like imagine like where so they, they, they they haven't sleep, made so cool. fantastic headway so far. Hey, Wish honey? I could share the photo with you. Honey, what do you, you think the Joneses are doing over there in their front yard? It's oh, right I now they're, they're building done the Millennium Falcon center console <laughs> that you kind of sit at. It's sitting in somebody's bedroom. Wow. Okay, but their end goal is yeah to build the, the now, entire so ship. Cool. Now, Rob, you know that the Millennium Falcon's not real. It will be once they build it. <laughs> Although they did say there's one minor detail about this one that will be a little bit different than the movie. Uh, this one won't fly. Well, nor uh, will it have bummer. Chewbacca. Yeah, I guess that's true. Chewbacca will not be co-pilot. Did anyone do that? Now? Or was he the pilot? <laughs> <laughs> oh, my heavens. That was, was intern Dave. That. <laughs> slash Tyler, Tyler. Mail. Slash Chewbacca. Slash Chewbacca. <laughs> We're calling you Chewy from now on. <laughs> that's oh, great. that's great. We like to have a nickname for you, Chewy. Now we don't have to call you Intern Dave when that's not even your name. 
Um, anybody else got some news? I do. So apparently in Japan, um, there are these things that are called potato parties. Mm. It's been a promotional thing where um, these, like a special on French fries, where French fries only come out to be 24 cents. And so people will have potato parties. They'll per fry order or the whole bucket? The whole, the whole like, little, little thing. Thing in the jiggy basket. Yeah, basket. The word you're looking for is box. Box, yes. The boxing. Carton. <laughs> What do, you, what do you call that? The fries come in. I don't a, a, fry, a box of fries. A fry tainer. <laughs> fry tainer. Okay, so twenty four cents per fry tainer. <laughs> um, but kids that would throw. That sounds fantastic. I'd get like five of those things. Well, exactly. That's the thing. People order just a ton of them and have potato parties, and the goal is to eat all of them by the time that they leave. Uh, and so, like the picture that they have, my heart rate's going up right like now hearing this. This table. Covered with newspaper on the bottom, so of course it's sanitary. Yeah, for sure. Then all of the um, fries piled on top. Just use a layer of fries at the bottom. (laughs) Stuck it to the bottom. Yeah, yeah. It was. Yeah, it's but it's a table at McDonald's. Well, I know yeah. you just don't eat the bottom fries because they're so so. So then, then they just a eat a bunch That's of fries. Great. So it's a fry yeah. party. It's not. It's not even a potato party. It's a fry party. Yeah, and then they just uh, insert an insane amount of fries, but it's causing crowding. You know, because mm. people will come and watch them, like see, oh yeah, like who can eat the most fries, and then like you know, oh, that's just it's- sick. But apparently, just, you just bob for him. You just put your face down in there and <laughs> yeah. just start digging, Bobbing for rooting fries, rooting like a pig. For your fries. But luckily it ends tomorrow. So the chaos and all of the Japanese restaurants. Do they have plans to bring this to the Western United States? Oh my gosh, that'd be amazing. That'd be really cool. I don't think it's coming. Because you know why? Uh, Did you hear about, this is my favorite story of the day. I mean, not that I didn't like your other stories. Oh, thanks. Did you hear about this horse head that ran through the middle of a television shoot? What? So, uh... In Washington, oh, is that D.C. the guy on the Weather Channel who uh-huh. – oh, that was great. No, I haven't heard of this. This is classic. Okay. So, you know, East Coast, the storm's coming, you know, crazy stuff's going to happen. And uh, a man running in shorts without a shirt <laughs> had a horse head on, like a mask of a horse. Yeah. And just topless, oh, basically went running through the streets of uh, D.C., a lone shirtless jogger ran past a live TV report in Washington, <laughs> D.C., wearing a horse head and good for the NBC reporter, Megan McGrath, not to ignore it. In fact, she embraced it. No, no, better yet, she ran with it. She said, there's an attitude with storms. You can either be scared and hide in your house or you can have a sense of humor about it. McGrath opined, that's all I can say about that there's guy. a hurricane coming and this guy oh just running gosh. around with his horse head that on. That is so that's funny. Sad. In the rain. That is too sad. So um, what do you do? Now, you know, hopefully he made it okay because that's a horrible way to die. (laughs) If you're in a storm and you die and you're wearing a horse head and nothing else but your shorts, you're going to look pretty silly. How do you explain that to mother? (laughs) Yeah. I'm looking at you, Sky. Kind of awkward at the funeral. Horse heads. So when in doubt, uh, put a horse head on and start running. Uh, That is your humanoid fact of the day. It's fun to be human, and uh, when we come back from the break, we're going to take on a topic of all topics. Have you ever been married? Not nope. yet. I have been. No. Nope. <laughs> I'm in with a bunch of students that haven't been married yet. <laughs> Marriage, and apparently money, uh, they don't always go hand in hand. They seem to cost a lot, cause a lot of problems, and today we're going to talk about how to strengthen your relationships and not let the money get in the way. We'll be back on the Matt Townsend Show on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio.
An immersive technology opens the virtual door to some of the world's most acclaimed art museums. This is Innovation Now, bringing you stories of revolutionary ideas, emerging technologies, and the people behind the concepts that shape the future. Taking a stroll through the Van Gogh Museum in Amsterdam or the National Gallery in London might be just what you need to spark that next innovative idea. Of course, most of us can't afford the time and expense of traveling the globe to gaze upon Botticelli's Birth of Venus or Cezanne's post-impressionist works. Now, anyone from anywhere in the world can take a free virtual tour inside 17 of the world's most acclaimed art museums through an online technology from Google called Art Project. The project takes advantage of Google Street View technology. As you move virtually through the museum's galleries, you can stop at works of art that interest you. At the click of a mouse, you can learn about more than a dozen of the world's most famous collections. Google's technology lets you zoom in to view brushstrokes and other details of some of the most famous paintings at up to a thousand times the resolution of the average digital camera. The next time you need some inspiration, you can try Art Project for yourself at googleartproject.com. For Innovation Now, I'm Buddy Rubino. Innovation Now is produced by the National Institute of Aerospace through collaboration with NASA and is distributed by WHRV. Visit us online at innovationnow.us. After all the campaigns and debates, Election Day has arrived. Tuesday, November 6th, BYU Radio will bring you experts from both sides weighing in on the hotly contested races around the nation, highlighted by the photo finish between President Obama and BYU alumnus Mitt Romney. Join us for a unique look at the elections November 6th, 8 Eastern, here on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. Little Pink Floyd action for you. Money. Uh, You know, it's such a great thing when you have it. And it just creates so many problems when you don't. And so on the show today, we're going to be talking about money and how it doesn't have to destroy your marriage. We're going to be bringing on an expert uh, who can help us a little bit with the psychology of money. Her name is Sybil Solomon. We'll bring her on in a little while, and she's going to teach us how to communicate better about money. She's got some ideas. We're even going to be doing a giveaway for uh, part of her program is um, a, a program called Money of Habitudes, which is where we learn to use actually um, – cards to help create conversations. And we're going to be giving away some cards and some manuals and some other things. So please stick with us. Uh, 801-422-0143. You can give us a call and we'll get you on the phone with your questions. If you have any questions about money, how to talk to your partner about money, the do's, the don'ts, the goods, the bads, uh, give us a call. 801-422-0143. And um, we will then also be giving away some uh, some of those cards to some of you callers. So we'll be back with uh, Sybil Solomon in a minute. But before we do that, people say that money can't buy happiness. But our producer Bryce thinks it's more that it's more that poverty just can't afford sadness. And he would love to tell us why. Look, I don't want you to take this the wrong way, but I'm about to rant. This is The Bryce is Right. 
Who needs financial independence? Living below the poverty line is the best. I've done it for years. Here's some of the best parts. People are unreliable. Family members and friends are always letting you down. They forget birthdays, they're late to stuff, or they just drop the ball in general. And if you've made the mistake of paying something off, you've lost the best friend you could ever have. If there's a bank to be paid every time you move, they know. When it's your birthday, they know. Buy a car, boat, or cabin, they know. Got a raise, they know. Finally landed a job, they know. Did you receive an inheritance from a relative's passing? Then not only are they there to offer condolences, they congratulate you on your new assets. No matter what you do, no matter how you may try to get them off your tail, they will always be there. You could not ask for a truer friend. When you've got money coming out of your ears, 10 cents here or 35 cents there won't get you excited. But when you're below the poverty line, deals are where the fun is at. Instant muffin packs, three for a dollar? Yes, please. This attitude expands your horizons in surprising ways. You end up buying things you never thought you'd have wanted. I've never ever considered the store brand Twinkies knockoff, but the deal is just too good to pass up. Milk that's about to expire? Sign me up. Day-old donuts? They may be a little tougher to chew, but there's just as much sugar and just as much guilt, so it's like the same, right? But it doesn't even have to be deals from the store. With gas prices the way they are, going downhill is like Christmas. Or free cookies in the office? Yeah, more like lunch is covered for the day. See what I mean? But things often go wrong in life. Generally, it's your own fault, but sometimes you're just dealt a bad hand by the universe. Whatever the reason, stuff breaks. And there may be times when you think, it sure would be nice to own high-quality new stuff. But that's what they want you to think. When things go wrong and your nice new stuff is somehow ruined, boy, are you going to feel silly. When you live below the poverty line, you never own nice new stuff. So when life happens and something breaks, it's a great day. Because, let's face it, if you owned it, it was old. And it probably didn't perform its function very well in the first place. Now that it's broken, you have a reason to throw it away and buy something new, or uh, I mean something less old. I've also heard that a lot of people get into arguments about money. But if you don't have any money, you certainly can't argue about it. So not only do you not have to fight about money, but you don't need to grow your relationship to a point where it can handle money fights. And that's just convenient. You see, if time is money then convenience is the 30% off sale for time. And like I said, deals are where the fun is at. All right, I'm out. And remember, don't forget to be awesome. That was weird. What? In a good way. Matt, do you, do, you find some, do you find some flaw in my logic? Well, no, but no one's ever argued that. You know, most people would like some money. So they, so they think. And most people would like... To grow their marriage, to be able to talk about yeah, anything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Grow marriages, you know, if you yeah. say so. See, I think you're weird in a good way. I mean that in the best way. I'm not putting <laughs> you down. I've just never heard anyone argue one. But you know what? That's that's the Bryce rant. I, what I liked about that is you you committed to it. Of course. You were 100%. In. You were totally in. Now, would you believe if I told you that money is one of the leading causes of divorce? I Do you believe that? I believe you. Do you believe that's probably even people that don't have money are still fighting about not having money? Maybe. Uh, it's, that, seems, that seems strange. That, that seems a little out yeah. of left field. Well, because you don't have money but, and you don't have anyone to fight about it. Hold on. Hold on. To the contrary, uh, when the electric bill rolls around, and I, I was the one stuck with, with being in charge of that, I then have to split it among my roommates and they love to take issue with that. They love to say, well, I wasn't home a lot, so I shouldn't oh, pay as much. Or yeah. See, so even it's already impacting your student relationships, right. your roomies. My single life. 
is still See, filled so with it doesn't matter how much money or not. It doesn't matter if you're married or not. Money messes up relationships. So just take the money out or take the relationship. It's one or the other, Matt. That's what I'm figuring out right But here. the thing is, I think we actually need both. <sighs> if you say so. Well, that's why we're going to talk to Sybil Solomon. After this break, we're coming back with Sybil Solomon. She's a speaker on the psychology of money. She's the recipient of a Smart Marriages Award, which is about marriage education. She knows how to teach us about why money matters and how to talk through it. We'll be back with Sybil right here on the Matt Townsend Show on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. Sometimes it's hard to keep up with the latest news and research in pivotal societal issues. BYU's Wheatley Forum presents the research of leading scholars and experts in current social issues and events. Learn, explore, and discuss the world around us with The Wheatley Forum, Wednesdays at 2 p.m. Eastern on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. Good afternoon, I'm Sam McCall for Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. For New York residents still struggling without power and lack of shelter, Governor Andrew Cuomo has good news. Thanks to FEMA and the National Guard, over one million hot meals coupled with bottled water are going to be provided to those still in disaster areas. Con Ed, a local utility company, says that the power should be back on in lower Manhattan by the weekend. But others, like the over 113,000 people still in the dark on Staten Island, will likely not get power back for another 10 days. In the U.S., the death toll from the monster storm has now risen to at least 87 people. As the city tries to get back to normal, one of the biggest snags is proving to be very limited gasoline supplies. Compounding the fuel worries for those affected by the storm is the Coast Guard's decision to keep the key Arthur Kill waterway closed. The section of the New York Harbor is an integral stretch of the port lined with oil processing infrastructure. Coast Guard officials so far have no timetable to reopen Arthur Kill, which could constrict regional fuel supplies even more than they already are. The passage is closed due to large diesel spills coupled with large amounts of debris, which would make navigation difficult for large ships. Immigration courts are inefficient and muddled with delays for deportation cases despite an increase in the amount of judges hearing them, according to a Justice Department inspector general. In the 2006 fiscal year, the immigration courts tried over 35,000 more cases than in the 2010 fiscal year, despite having 27 more judges on staff. The immigration office says they have not had sufficient funding to find ways to increase efficiency, but are working to try and train judges on how to deal with international requests to delay trials, which have been one of the biggest time wasters for the system. A 66-year-old British millionaire has pled guilty to an attempt to sell missile parts to the Iranian government. Christopher Tappan had originally pled not guilty in a federal court in Texas, but decided to take a plea deal in exchange for a decreased sentence. The scheme, which began in 2005, involved an attempt to ship zinc-silver oxide batteries for Hawk air defense missiles to Iran via the Netherlands. 
two other men were also involved in the effort and have both already been convicted and sentenced to prison terms. You're listening to BYU Radio on Sirius XM 143. I'm Sam McCall. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. Today we are taking on the topic of money and our relationships and how we learn to communicate about money. Money's important, right? It's always going to be a big part of the deal. Money and communication uh, are the two biggest things that people complain about when it comes to our marriages and relationships. Um, And so we're going to bring on an expert, Sybil Solomon, now, Sybil Solomon um, has a really popular communication methodology called Money Habitudes, and it's been used to teach tens of thousands of people in dozens of countries about how to manage personal finance. She really is uh, an acclaimed educator. She's won the Educator of the Year by the Association for Financial Counseling and Planning Education. She's also um, been a, a recipient of the Smart Marriages Impact Award from the Coalition for Marriage, Family, and Couples Education, um, which is a really prestigious thing. She's been on the. She's been an adjunct faculty member at the Center for Creative Leadership as well, one of the Financial Times top ten executive education institutions in the world. So, we're bringing on Sybil. Sybil's going to help us through this. Sybil, are you on the phone with us? I am, and I'm looking forward to to attacking this incredible topic. <laughs> I am too, and and we need your expertise because <laughs> apparently the money things important. Yeah, the money thing is really important. And the relationship thing is important, too, as well. Yeah, and the interesting thing is, you made the comment earlier that is money really the number one reason that couples fight and couples get divorced? And you're going to see that number over and over again. And it it comes up, it's always in the top three. It's uh, in-laws, money, and children. Oh, wow. Um, However... The reality is when people are arguing about money and they're mm-hmm. fighting about money, they're never really fighting about money. That's not the real deal, is it? Nope. They're there's... fighting about what does money mean to them. Yeah, there's something deeper down that's uh, – and that's interesting because then we got we to gotta not only fight about the money or that's where we go, probably because I guess it's the easier thing we think to talk about than getting down to the real meaning underneath the money. Right. So let's talk about just talking about money. When you grew up, did your parents talk about money in your house? Um, no. Right. So nope. that's we didn't typical. talk about that. That was a secret. Aha. Uh-huh. That's really common. So frequently what happens is when we're growing up, we get the message that you shouldn't talk about money. Either that money is really private, so you never ask anybody what they earn or how much something costs. And by the way, that's that's something that's very cultural in the United States. In other countries, that's not true. Yeah, those but in are, our yeah. country, that's very true. Right? So mm-hmm. we learn, don't talk about money. Don't share any information. Don't ask any of those questions. And we typically don't have any idea how our parents made money decisions. How did they decide whether to spend 100000 or $200,000 or $500,000 on a house? You know, how much money are they going to spend on gifts? They don't usually talk about it. That's so true. And I guess it's almost more like if somebody, you know, if you can qualify for the house, that's just how you decide. <laughs> we qualified. So, you know, the banks think I'm good. 
Right. Well, we're not going to go there today. <laughs> yeah. That is true. That... But, I mean, that's the deal is, I guess the point is we're not, we're not necessarily even talking or choosing. We're just kind of maybe reacting to our money as we go. Right. And when we talk about, like, buying a house, the typical kind of thing that happens is that one person will do exactly what you said. They'll say, well, the bank thinks that we can afford it, and we can do this, and we should go for the maximum, get the biggest house we can, the nicest house in the most expensive good school area. And the other one might be saying, well, no, I'd much rather have some money so we have a nest egg, so Mm -hmm. that we have a cushion, and we don't really need to live in that neighborhood, and we don't need an extra 1,000 square feet. Um, so again, they're not really arguing about money. They're arguing about lifestyle. One is talking about the status of a neighborhood, the status of having a big house. Maybe they're still trying to prove to their parents that they've made it, that they're, you know, they deserve to be respected. Where the other one might feel like, you know, it's a house. Yeah. And, you know, I just want to be comfortable, and that that's it. And and then we bring these concepts, these ideas of, and I bring mine, you bring yours, we come into a marriage, I guess we assume similarity, that we're, you know, we're on the same page, hello, we're married, and and then all of a sudden we start making these purchases. Um, so I guess part of it, so you're saying the deeper issue is just the meaning behind the, the what the money means. What, what are some more things that money mean? What, what, what are the meanings of it to other people? Okay, so there's... For example, for some people, money means status, that they can spend the money to impress people. They want to make a good impression on other people. And that might mean when they go out to eat, they have to pay for other people. It might mean they only get their hair done at a certain place or that they'll only buy clothes at certain stores with certain brands. Um, For some people, it's their children. You know, they'll pass on stuff for themselves, but their children have to go to the best schools or they have to have the latest brands for sneakers and they have to have the iPhone. Um, So whatever status might mean to one person may be different than another person, but frequently that need to be accepted, to have people look up to you and think that you're okay is a big motivator for money. And that's, I mean, that's interesting because that gets, that that's so divisive. That's so, um, and it, it's so constant because that, that's yeah. something that's ingrained kind of deep in you. <laughs> and how do you get that? And we'll talk about this eventually. I, we'd love your solutions for how we talk out some of these things. But my, my idea of status is, is huge. I guess another one's power. Yes, power can come across in a lot of different ways. And a lot of times people who really care about security, they use money for control and for power. Hmm. Um, if you have more money, maybe in a couple, one person is earning all of the money or a lot more money than the other. And then the question is, does that person get more of a say? Uh, I would like to think, no, they don't. But the reality is in many relationships, the more money you earn, the more that person feels they should have more power. But the interesting thing is, in a couple, a lot of times the person who is earning more money, they are not the one that feels like they should have more say. They may be perfectly into sharing equally and all of that, and it may be their spouse Mm. who automatically feels inferior or doesn't have the self-confidence and gives them the power whether or not they ask for it. 
Yeah, that's true. And that, and that, yeah, and maybe even, yeah, holds a grudge because, or maybe guilt that they're not producing more. Isn't that, it's just so complicated, isn't it? The tangled web. (laughs) It is. is. Let's just, since you brought that up, let me jump into one thing that we're going to have to talk about here quickly. Mm -hmm. And that's um, how do people divide up money? And I had one uh, person who was clergy say that it used to be when people slept together, that was what consummated the marriage. And that's no longer true in many cases. And what's more true is when they decide to share their money yes. and be completely open about their money, well, that's it, what consummates the relationship. That's interesting, because there isn't that true that um, by keeping it divided, it it does impact your your divorce rates or your other kind of commitment. Well, it may and it may not. Um, when I was interviewing a lot of couples, I had some couples tell me that the husband said to the wife when they got married, we're going to do. We're going to split everything by the percentage of what we earn hmm. in terms of paying bills. But you're going to have all of your money separate from me. And the reason behind that was he said his mother was always dependent upon the father, and he didn't want his wife to ever feel like she had to be dependent upon him. Hmm. He was always willing to give her money. That wasn't the yeah. issue, but he wanted to make sure that she, she had her own money. Well, yeah, and that's uh, I guess, and that's something that we that ends up being negotiated, as I guess with all of this, one one little argument at a time, one purchase at a time, doesn't it? <laughs> right. So, what happens if the two of you are keeping your money separately, and the wife says, "You know that sofa, it's really getting old, and I think we need to replace it." Yeah. And I just found a sofa; it cost a thousand dollars. I think we should get it. And the husband says. Oh, I don't think we should get the sofa. Yeah, we don't good. really need it. I don't, don't even use that sofa. It. Yeah. Yeah. And why spend a thousand? We could get one for two hundred if you really want a new one. So then do they agree and collaborate on what they're gonna do? Or does one say, Well, I have enough money in my discretionary account, I'll just pay for it with my money. Mm. You know, you don't have to agree with me, I'll just go ahead and do it. And I think it's those kinds of things where people Say, I've got the money to do it. I'm just going to go ahead and do it. And they don't talk to each yeah. other. They don't come to any kind of agreement. That's when you start really wearing away. And it starts chipping it away, doesn't it? It does. Interesting. See, Sybil, we're going to take a break. That I, I love uh, this idea that um, it's communication and it's creating habits of being able to talk about it. When we come back, I'd love you to kind of explore... Uh, some of the communication tools that we could use to unleash and and better communicate around money. So we'll be back now. As we were talking about with Sybil, the financial plans, you know, are something we should all be thinking about. Um, And the reality is we just don't. And so when we come back, we're going to get into these financial issues. We're going to give you some other tools and hopefully uh, give you everything you need to be able to go and communicate more effectively with your partner about the moolah, you're, ta- you're listening to The Matt Townsend Show right here on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. Nanotechnology. This science of the future is making present-day life on Earth a little safer. 
This is Innovation Now, bringing you stories behind the ideas that shape our future. About 10 years ago, the Center for Nanotechnology at NASA's Ames Research Center created a carbon nanotube-based biosensor. The original intent of this tiny device was to help identify life on Mars. A New York-based company called Early Warning licensed the sensor technology from NASA to improve and adapt it for identifying biohazards on Earth. Early Warning's Biohazard Water Analyzer now allows for on-the-fly detection and reporting of dangerous organic contaminants. The entire process takes less than three hours, a significant improvement over lab-based testing. The innovation makes it easier to check recreational water quality at beaches and lakes. Farmers can use it to make sure feed water for cattle is sanitary. Even food and beverage companies can use it to ensure the purity of water used in their products. With estimates of more than a billion people worldwide without access to safe water, the fruits of this partnership may be more necessary than ever. Innovation Now is produced by the National Institute of Aerospace through collaboration with NASA and is distributed by WHRV. Visit us online at innovationnow.us. After all the campaigns and debates, Election Day has arrived. Tuesday, November 6th, BYU Radio will bring you experts from both sides weighing in on the hotly contested races around the nation, highlighted by the photo finish between President Obama and BYU alumnus Mitt Romney. Join us for a unique look at the elections November 6th, 8 Eastern, here on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. Can buy me love, love, buy me love. I'll buy you a diamond ring, my friend, if it makes you feel all right. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. Little Beatles can't buy me love. In fact, maybe all this money will just buy me headaches. Awesome. Now, we're talking about money and and how it impacts our relationships. Now we know we should be, you know, talking about our finances with uh, you know, while we're in married, while we uh, while we're in our marriage, by the way. But uh what do we do when we're engaged? So what are fiancés and newlyweds doing to plan for their financial uh problems or potential problems that show up in uh their marriages? We sent our producer Tyler Mail out to ask a few people. Do you uh, handle financial things inside of your marriage? It's not too personal, obviously. Um, let's see. Well, she used to work, but now that she's getting ready to graduate, she stopped working. I'm with ROTC, so I get paid okay. and everything. Okay. Um, financial stuff so far hasn't been that big of an issue. Okay. Um, Have you already thought about how you would handle something if something came up? Um, like if she went on a huge shopping spree or... Sure, why not? Let's go for it. If I on eBay or something. Let's go for it. Would you kick my butt? I'd be disappointed. Like, yeah, I think more than the just like a money aspect. I think just the fact that we've already established like a base of communication with finances. Yeah. For some, for one of, for either one of us to go and do something secretly, I think that would be the root of the problem more than just the finances. I think just breaking okay. the communication. The big thing would just be taking the time to sit down and talk about it. You yeah, know, it'd probably just call be each other out on it. Really. If it was something we could reverse, like my bots like sell it back or something, or if not, then it would just be sitting down and having to redo our budget and everything. Have you ever thought about what you would do if something came up and you had a fight about finances? Um, I don't know, because I don't think it'll ever be an issue since we're so open about it now. Yeah, we, we have pretty similar views about 
frugality and spending smart. Yeah. And Our first fight was, well, it wasn't really fight, but it's like technically the first fight was when we, he brought up the idea of student loans. I was like, heck no. I was like, no way. In my family, that's not allowed. How are you going to kind of resolve that sort of conflict? Uh, well, I don't know. I don't know what marriage is like. You know, once you feel stuck, it's a little different than dating where it's like, oh, you bought a new watch with marriage money. Okay, well, I still love you anyway. Marriage isn't going to be like that. Sounds pretty scary to me. Some of those couples had been married, you know, six months, two years, and then a few of them uh, were just engaged. So fairly new to this money idea. In fact, I can't even ever imagine that money would be an issue. Well, it is an issue. And we're going to bring on Sybil Solomon, uh, who really is an expert in this. She's put together a communication methodology called Money Habitudes that she uses to help uh, teach couples um, how to communicate through uh, their personal finances. So, Sybil, welcome to the program. Hi, it's good to be back. And I love those interviews. I I have to react to that. Yeah, let's hear. (laughs) Okay, so... One of the biggest issues that causes problems for people when the the first year that they get married Mm -hmm. is that they feel like they've married their best friend and they really care about each other. And then when they find out that they've never talked about debt and they find out that the person that they married has student loans, that the car that they've been driving um, isn't paid for, that all those dates that they went out and all those special gifts that they gave each other went on credit cards. And that ring that she's sporting. Absolutely. Yeah. So one of the the first big areas... Surprise! Surprise is that people feel betrayed when they suddenly find out that there's all of this debt. Because once you get married, you're sharing the debt. Mm -hmm. It's not like, oh, gee. (laughs) Yeah sorry to hear about that, you have a legal responsibility for a lot of that debt as well. And for some people, that is incredibly overwhelming. So before anybody gets married, I think it's just as a very basic thing, it's really important to share um, how much money you have and how much money you owe Mm -hmm. and how you feel about debt. You know, some people are very comfortable owing $5,000, $10,000, even more. Other people... If they can't pay off their credit card bill at the end of the month, if they owe $100, they are, like, really, really upset about that. Yeah. Um, so it's it's truly important that people talk about those things. Well, and it's uh, it, it almost seems obvious, but I guess it's kind of like with other topics. When you're in love, it doesn't matter. But you're saying, you know what, it's, it can be preventative, and some of it could just be starting to create... By having these conversations early, you're just starting to share your views about money and your views about status and power, and uh, you could probably prevent some. Now, what are what are some ways that we actually get into communicating? So for those couples out there who have never been able to um, bridge the gap and talk about the, their their money issues, you know, that have already been struggling with it for years, or for those newlyweds, what are some ways that we can actually more effectively talk it out? Okay. So first... There's four different ways that couples typically communicate, and I think it's helpful if people think about what, what is it that they, they do. Mm-hmm. So the first one is that they concur. They agree. They don't talk about it, but they automatically either don't spend money or spend money or agree to do certain things, and it's never spoken about. So you might have two people who are not particularly 
good with money and they spend too much money on gifts or they spend too much money going out to dinner and they just don't talk about it. Right. Um, so it's not good or bad. It might be working fine, but it's, they don't have conversation. Um, they may collaborate, and that's when, when they're really talking about working together. So this is something that we want. What are we going to sacrifice in order to get it? How are we going to earn more money in order to get it? What will the trade-offs be? Um, what will you do? What will I do? Uh, so that collaboration is really what we're all looking for. And some people do a great job of that. But when you think about what are the trade-offs as opposed to what am I going to have to give up, and I think that's where we get into a lot of trouble. When right. we think about compromising, it seems like one person's always the one that's compromising more. Mm-hmm. But if we think about trade-offs, it becomes a little more easy, well, and it's you know, a little easier. And it's kind of, I guess it's what we're giving up, too. I mean... Uh, it could be one person never eats out and just packs a lunch every morning, and the other eats out every day. And th- now we're arguing about eating out, which sounds like some little petty thing. <laughs> but it, you might seriously hold a grudge against somebody that won't even make their own lunch. Just pack a lunch. Um, and it, it, but it's you gotta you gotta learn to to work through the. The issue, I guess, and both give a little bit, huh? Right, but then there's also the question of it's not just spending the money on lunch. The person who's eating lunch with other people, is that really their social outlet for for their life? Is that really where they're um, taking a break for the day? And maybe they're eating out, but they're not spending money on other things that their spouse is spending on. So how people spend money, what's important to them, what does that money represent? And, and that's why they react so mad, because, hey, this is important to me. This is my social life, but yet we're just making it about money. Right. Hmm. So you've led into the next form of communication, which is conflict. And typically, the two places where people do a lot of talking is either if they're collaborating or if they're in conflict. And conflict is the easy one. You know you and the other person yeah. disagree, and you're fighting about it. But there's another one that's a quiet kind of conflict, which is collusion. And when people collude, they're angry about what the other person does. They're angry that the other person's spending money getting the extras on the car, the extras on the cell phone, or that they're eating out more often, but they don't say anything. Is that like more passive, huh? That's like a... Or is it just that we don't know? I mean, how does... Well, if they're colluding, you know. You know they know. Yeah. <laughs> but they don't talk about it. And then what you have is you start having a lack of trust because when people collude, they typically tend to do something underhanded to get back at them. Mm-hmm. So maybe they know that um, their husband gets a bonus, but the husband's ne- they know that the husband's not telling them about the bonus. So what they do is instead of saying, hey, what happened to the bonus you usually get, they just go out and they spend money. Yeah, throw it now down the on a credit card. Yeah. Right. So they're, they're, um, they're being mean to each other. Right. Uh, and they're not being honest. And then you have all kinds of trust issues. So first you want people to think about how do they t- co- communicate right now about money? Are they concurring or collaborating? And are they conflicting or colluding? And... You know, how, what's the benefit for what they're doing, and what's the downside of it? 
That's so powerful. let's say that they've done that, and now they're saying, you know what, we really would like to communicate more openly. What do you think would be the first step to somebody communicating more openly? About about their money? Yeah. I mean, maybe it's um, – I, I, I would probably want to defer – to the other and have them try to ex- help me understand their view of what money means to them and what what it doesn't mean. Ah, okay. So you're on the right path. If you really want to talk about money, what you really don't want to do is to start by talking about money. Right. You don't want to start talking about budgets. You don't want to start talking about investments. You want to get to what are people's experiences with money. Hmm. So, for example, when you were growing up, how did you get money? Did you have an allowance? I stole it, Sybil. You stole it? Flat out stole it. No, we would find it in our couch. It was the greatest <laughs> thing in the world. It was a money machine. It was a deep couch from the 70s, and there was always money in there. I love it. Do you think your parents intentionally let more money fall out of their pockets? No, I don't think they... I, I don't think... It, it wasn't even my parents. We invited a lot of uh, other people over, and we would just shake the money out of them. I love it. To, really, like I, as a kid, if I needed to go to the store, we would start digging in the couch. And we know we're going to find something there. But we would work for it, right? We did chores. My, uh, we'd go work for my dad at his office, and he'd give us money. Okay. And so then that becomes a question. Did you have an allowance? Did you work for it? Did you get money as gifts? When you got money as gifts... Was there an expectation? Could you spend the money on anything that you wanted? Were you expected to save part of it? Were you expected to give part of it away? See, these are, this is about understanding the other, this is, right? This is about trying to get a feel for where they've come from. Yes, you want to know what those messages are in the back of your brain. So let me give you a really quick um, metaphor to think about. When... When we make decisions about money, we think that we're being really very logical. Mm -hmm. But when we connect the brain up to do brain scans and we let people make money decisions while they're connected, it's not typically the logical part of the brain that lights up. It's the emotional part of the brain. Interesting. Yeah. Um, So if you think about the logical part of the brain being the rider, somebody who is on top of an elephant, and the elephant is the emotional part. When everything is going well, all the messages that you've gotten in the past, you are in sync, you've eaten, you've gotten enough sleep, you're having a good day, wherever the writer wants you to go, which may be go to the bank and put your paycheck in there and save money, walk past the store where they're having a sale on your favorite stuff, wherever the writer wants you to go, the elephant and the writer go in the same direction and everything's going great. Right. But if anything triggers that elephant, all those emotions, and the elephant is like, oh, no. Look out. Here's something more important. Yeah. Yes, look out. It's going to go in the other direction. That's so true. That's a great metaphor, and I think if you, if you can kind of separate it that way, it's going it, it to it, it maybe create some space for you to go make better decisions, you know, if you can, less emotional. We're going to take a break, Sybil, come back with you, and have you teach us a little bit about your um, – the tools you use about uh, communicating, using the cards. We're talking to, again, Sybil Solomon, who really, she knows her stuff, Money Habitudes. Um, What was the website, Sybil? 
You know what? We'll come back with Sybil and give you her website. If you're interested or have questions for Sybil, give us a call. 801-422-0143. You're listening to The Matt Townsend Show on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. KBYU FM HD2 Provo. Thinking Aloud invites thoughtful thinkers and creators to share their insights into the ideas and art of the world around us. Whether it's music, medicine, sport, science, or literature, Brigham Young University scholars can share eye-opening ideas and stimulating conversation on all. Join our host, Marcus Smith, for discussion and exclusive interviews weekdays at 1.30 and 8.30 Eastern on Sirius XM 143, BYU Radio. Good afternoon, I'm Sam McCall for Sirius XM 143, BYU Radio. What's left of Hurricane Sandy is still fizzling out far inland from the devastated areas of New York and New Jersey. But with one storm passed, East Coasters already need to prepare for another powerful weather cycle. A nor'easter is looming in the Atlantic, and it looks to be targeting the same damaged regions that just weathered one of the worst storms to ever hit the densely populated East Coast. The storm is nowhere near as powerful as Sandy was, but it is still significant enough to cause some damage and will certainly delay and hamper rescue and rebuilding efforts. It is expected to hit early next week and continue through Thursday. With just five days left until next Tuesday's presidential election, both campaigns are back on message after a brief truce due to Hurricane Sandy. President Obama and his team have resurrected the 2008 Change campaign slogan, and the president says he is the only candidate who will actually fight for it. On the other side, Mitt Romney and his campaign are criticizing the president as a lover of big government who will work to expand bureaucracy if he is given another term. Romney is spending the whole day in Virginia trying to win over the last of the undecided voters, while the Obama campaign is spreading out more, visiting Wisconsin, Nevada, Colorado, and Ohio all today. Syrian rebel forces have claimed responsibility for killing 28 Assad regime-friendly soldiers today, some of which were killed despite surrendering. The rebel escalation came in the form of three coordinated attacks and may be in part of a response to the Syrian army's stepping up of airstrikes. The 19-month-old conflict has continued to grow bloodier since a failed ceasefire attempt earlier this week. Today, China, which has been one of the countries to block previous U.N. plans to help end the violence, proposed a new effort to end the civil war by tackling ceasefire on a region-by-region basis and setting up a transitional government. As if losing all seven Tour de France titles wasn't enough, now the International Olympic Committee has announced an official investigation into Lance Armstrong's bronze medal from the Summer Games in 2000. The International Cycling Union has erased all of Armstrong's performances from 1998 onward, which leaves the 2000 Olympic Games right in the cyclists' alleged doping years. The Olympic Committee has an eight-year statute of review for challenging results, but the IOC president says there may be ways around the time constraint. You're listening to BYU Radio on Sirius XM 143. I'm Sam McCall.
Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. We are talking about money, 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 and marriage, 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 marriage. That's harder to say four times in a row. And the impact that money has on our relationships, why we fight about it, and how we don't have to fight. You know, it's inevitable. Every couple will at some point get a chance to discuss money issues. Whether they do or not, uh, our guest is teaching us, you know, may not happen. But sometimes it seems like having just a little bit more cash on hand could make the problem go away. Some Some sage advice, however, claims that's simply not true. The well of wisdom is not especially deep in the world of hip-hop lyrics. We revolve like the sun around the earth. Or Billy Shakespeare wrote a whole mess of sonnets. Inspiring. But of course, there's an exception to every rule, and I found one line in all of hip-hop writing that really does kind of ring true. Mo money? Mo problems. Have you ever thought, you know, if I just had a couple of extra zeros at the end of my bank balance, all of my money stress would go away? Well, if the wisdom of rapper Notorious B.I.G. is true, then no, it wouldn't. I see you're skeptical taking the advice of a 400-pound dead man. So here's a short anecdote which backs up the more money, more problems claim. It's the story of a man who made his fortune tearing down old buildings, paving the vacant lot, and charging people $12 a day to park their car on it. A business plan which, on the surface, sounds about as lucrative as selling burritos out of the back of your van. But this guy was really good at it. It made him a multi-multi-millionaire. He owned a 13,000-square-foot mansion. He tried to buy his hometown's ball team. And when that didn't work out, he bought a prominent team in a very large city. Everything was going great. Until, after 30 years of marriage, he and his wife decided to split. Yep, all the assets, money, mansions were no grease to keep the wheels of happy marriage rolling along smoothly for them. It just turned nasty. He fired her from his company. She filed for divorce from him. The judge threw out their post-nup agreement. And over the following 700 days or so, judges, juries, and attorneys duked each other out over the millions of dollars trying to figure out how to split the money up. That is a lot of stress. Truly, more money, more problems. But this story does have one clear winner. Somebody who walked away is easily the financial victor. And it was the attorneys. Yeah, the legal bills alone totaled over $20 million. $20 million! That's like 10 to 20 times what we'll make in our lifetimes. They say it was the most costly divorce in all of California's history. Most costly, even more than every other high-profile Hollywood breakup story you could possibly think of. So now it earns its place in the top 10 most costliest divorces of all times list. Like actor Kevin Costner's $80 million split for Marianne Rogers, Tiger Woods' $100 million divorce that caused his wife to decide to demolish their mansion, Neil Diamond's second divorce involving $150 million, but the biggest one of all. The priciest of all divorces in recent history goes to Rupert Murdoch. 
1999, he divorced his former wife, Anna, and the attorney settled with her for $1.7 billion. It doesn't really matter how much money we make. In the end, we always wish we made 30% more. And sometimes we get a pay raise. We get that 30% more. And if you were to survey a person after the big pay raise, you know what they'd say? Gee, I wish I made 30% more. No matter how much you make, it's never enough. Be it billionaire or just mere millionaire, couples of all incomes fight over money. The only difference, really, is the cost of the attorney's fees. More money, more problems. Excellent work, Robbie. Robbie Sanders and our guest, Sybil Solomon, would probably say it's not about the money. There's a deeper (laughs) issue down below that we need to be talking about. Could be status issues, could be power issues, could be betrayal. And so we're going to bring back Sybil Solomon, who is the creator of a communication methodology called Money Habitudes. You can find it at moneyhabitudes.com. And uh, she's trying to help us understand how better to communicate through our financial issues. Welcome back, Sybil, to the program. Thank you. You bet. Now, uh, help us as we, we've got uh, – we're going to wrap up this segment, but I'd love you to explain to us about your program, Money Habitudes. How does it work? Because we are going to be taking a caller. We're going to be giving away some cards and some workbooks. Is that right? Yes. It's a, two decks of cards and a guide for couples so they can go through it together and see how they complement or conflict with each other. Excellent. So if you – as you're listening to uh, Sybil's talk, be listening and thinking. Do you want this? Do you need it? Because then we're going to give you a phone number. And I'm not going to give it to you now because I want you to listen to Sybil. Then you're going to give us a phone number and we will uh, we'll give um, a set of those cards and that guidebook away. Now, Sybil, how does the program work? Okay, so basically what I wanted to do was make it really fun and easy for people to talk about money. I didn't want anything that where people would feel threatened because money is such an emotional issue. Right. And I didn't want anybody to feel judged because that's the worst. As soon as you get in a conversation, it can start with, well, if you didn't do this and you did that. Mm-hmm. So we didn't want any kind of judgment. So I did the research, and what we find is there's six really common patterns of dealing with money that we have. So I developed a deck of cards, and I'm going to give you some examples. What you're going to do is just read the card, and you're going to divide it into a pile that says, that's me, that's sometimes me, that's not me, and each person's going to do it. So for example, if you, Matt, get Mm -hmm. extra money by surprise, would you consider it extra money that you can spend any way that you want? No way. No way. Okay, I'd, I'd so get killed. No. What would you do? What I, would you do with that extra money? Honestly, if I was handed extra money, if it was cash, I'd take uh, $20 and then I'd give the rest to my wife. If it was a check, I'd hand my wife the check. Uh-huh. That's just because I don't know how to do banking. <laughs> she, now there's another issue for us. <laughs> that's a big issue. And so honestly, we just I hand it all over to her. And I would hope that she would. That, that's why I need to know what she would do. Yeah. Would she just, would she give me $20 automatically or would she just put it in the bank? Okay. And that's what we're looking for. So if um, somebody just would consider it extra, we consider them a more spontaneous person, somebody else would automatically 
take that money, put it in the bank, put it in an investment, and that would be a security type mm-hmm. of personality, where somebody else would say, you know, I've been thinking about buying a car, I'm going to put that money towards that, or I have a loan, I'll put the money towards that. And yet other people would automatically give it to somebody. Yeah. You know, give it away to help somebody. So that's what we're looking for. But let's try one of the other cards. Yeah. And any of these cards you can talk about. Um, how about I always research high price things so that I can compare quality and price. Do you do that if you were going to buy a new washing machine or a yeah. new car? Do you research I do. It? I just did it and bought a new laptop, and I researched it for a long time. Okay. And, again, some people will automatically research it, and other people will be, no, wait, if it broke down, I'm just going to, I know I wanted a fancy red sports mm. car, and I'm going to go to the place that has one, and I'm just going to buy it. Right? So yeah. it's a, a different way of approaching it. But here's one. I feel I should pay the bill when I go out with others. Ooh, yeah. That's a big one. I used to actually feel that way, mm-hmm. especially like when I'd go out with my family, my sisters or my mom and or my dad. I kind of felt this need to be the man, I guess, and pay the bill. And my wife was like, huh? We're all big people. We can all That's pay right. the bill. So that, I mean, that would be a great conversation. Right. And it may be, well... Maybe you feel like when you go out with your mom that that's a way of showing respect or whatever and that you really want to do that, where somebody else might feel like, well, if it's my parents, they should still be paying for me. But if I go out with somebody who's a friend and I earn more than they do, then I feel like I should pay for them. Yeah. Right? So it's not that there's a right or wrong, but it's a discussion. I I love that. No, I think, what was that? Want to try another question? Yeah, let's do one more, and then we gotta we got to go and start getting some people to call in for this. Okay. I will buy things that cost less instead of getting what I really want. Oh, interesting. That's a great question. Yeah. Uh, I, tend to, I tend to want to do that, and then I, I'm a big believer in quality. <laughs> so I kind of know we, we may pay for that later, but... But yeah, that's that. That's a discussion. In fact, my wife ha- and I have had is about quality like that. Okay, so what happens is when you read the cards, there's 54 statement cards. You're going to be dividing them up, and then when you look at the back of it, it'll show you which is your pattern. And we're all a combination. Mm-hmm. So it may be that in one situation, we would automatically spend money, let's say, for extra safety features on a car. But we wouldn't spend an extra penny to get a spiffy interior or a special color. Oh, yeah. Um, So we're all a combination. We're not just one thing. But we tend to uh, go more in one direction or another. And it's important, let's say that two people are giving. They're both generous. Mm -hmm. But one of them gives. They want to know, they give a certain amount to their church, and they do it a certain time of the year, and they want them to be accountable, where someone else, it's like, oh, wow, you need some help, let me help you. Or, yeah, like more spontaneous giving, huh? Yes. It, so they don't see each other no. as responsible in giving. They're fighting with each other, and they just need to understand that they both care about the same value, but they that. approach it differently. I re- and it really is, uh, we're so much more alike. I mean, the, the, we, we all possess all of these differences, and I guess these differences have strengths and weaknesses, and 
we I guess we got we got married for a reason, and I'm assuming not just to nitpick the differences, but maybe to leverage our <laughs> strengths. Right, and typically what you see when you do the cards is people may be agreeing on a lot of things, but you always see things where people have something in common, mm-hmm. and the other thing is typically where people are fighting is where they're very different. Yeah. But when you see the cards flipped over, what you see is where they're fighting is also where they're balancing each other. So the more one goes in one direction, the more the other one goes yeah. in the other then direction. Yeah, they polarize, don't they? They kind of become yeah. opposites on it. Yeah. I think that is, I think it's a great tool. And uh, so if they want to find your the the cards and the guidebook and just more information about this, Sybil, where do they go? Well, they can go to my website, which is Money Habitudes. Habitudes is a combination of habits and attitudes. It's H A B I T U D E S. Just do moneyhabitudes.com, and they can see all the products and uh, lots of information. Yeah, I love it. In fact, it's filled with you know planners and other tools that you can use, how to get help or therapists and other things. So appreciate uh, so much, Sybil, your help on this. That really is uh, an important thing. Now, anybody out there, if you want to get a chance to win this set, she's given us a set of cards with a guidebook. We're giving it away First caller in at 801-422-0143, 801-422-0143, and we will send those out to you. Give us a call, and uh, Sybil, again, thank you so much for offering that for our listeners and just for uh, making this a lot easier to understand. Well, thank you. If your listeners just remember, if they can talk about money with each other, they can talk about anything. That's so true. Good advice. Thank you so much, Sybil, and we will be back after this break talking a little bit more about uh, money and marriage right here on the Matt Townsend Show on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. How do you spot one polar bear out of a lineup? This is Innovation Now, bringing you stories of revolutionary ideas, emerging technologies, and the people behind the concepts that shape the future. For naturalists, tracking exotic animals like polar bears and gigantic whale sharks is hard work. Physically attaching tags or radio beacons to these creatures is sometimes dangerous and expensive, and you only get back a little data for the effort. But an innovative answer to the problem came from the Hubble Space Telescope. A technique for matching up star groups in space pictures called the Groth algorithm has been adapted for use on animal photographs to identify specific creatures by the unique patterns of spots on their bodies, like fingerprints. For a polar bear, it's a pattern of spots on their muzzle. Instead of physically tagging polar bears or whale sharks, photos taken by scientists or anyone can be run through the algorithm to positively identify specific animals and add to a database tracking their movements in history non-invasively. Besides more than tripling the available data about some rare species migrations, the Groth algorithm allows travelers on eco-tours to help scientists track specific animals just by submitting their vacation snapshots. And nobody has to volunteer to tag the bear. For Innovation Now, this is Buddy Rubino. Innovation Now is produced by the National Institute of Aerospace through collaboration with NASA and is distributed by WHRV. Visit us online at innovationnow.us. For regular updates on BYU Radio programming, sports, and other behind-the-scenes news, follow BYU Radio on Twitter. 
Just search for BYU Radio, hit follow, and enjoy our tweets on news, live updates on shows, and much more. Talk about good. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. Today we've been talking about money and marriage. We just gave away uh, Sybil Solomon's program, Money Habitudes. We've been talking to her and just gave away a a deck of cards, actually two decks of cards, and a guidebook. Uh, We're getting the name of the person right now. And we had a bunch of callers call in. So if you're a listener and you tried to call in, we are so sorry. We only had one thing to give away, but... Uh, we'll, uh, we're going to start squeezing more so we can give more great gifts away to all of you. Um, and keep listening, and we'll be giving you the number away uh, a lot more during the show so you can get in earlier. And uh, always feel free to call and ask questions as well. So before we, um, before we start wrapping this up, we, got, we want to go to our producer, Madison Allred. Now, money and relationships, she says, certainly isn't tricky, is it? Uh, sometimes people can wish that it just all went away because they think of money is inherently bad. Our producer Madison explores this idea and what it would be like if the world was without any money. Money. Money seems to be such a problem, doesn't it? It is said that the three things that you will argue about when you get married is kids, sex, and money. Aside from the crimes that are problems with the individual's mental state, The majority of crimes are motivated by money. Ever wanted something that you cannot have because you don't have enough money? I think that everyone has been in that boat. Money is a constant daily influence on our lives, and my friend the other day actually said, I wish that we did not have money. Life would be a lot easier. But would it? I would like to paint a picture of a world without money. All trade would be based around the barter system. There are actually several internet sites that function on this basis where participants can trade their unwanted items for others that they want more or need. A teen over the course of two years traded an old cell phone for a Porsche. He had to barter like crazy as it evolved from trades to an iPod, to laptops, dirt bikes, up to SUVs. In his case, this young man was able to essentially get a lot from nothing. But would this work for everyone? I see two possible outcomes. Either everyone would be happy, or everyone would be unhappy. The reason why I think that people could be happy is because no one would trade unless they thought that the other item was of a greater value to them than the one that they currently possessed. You might have an old iPhone, but you want to switch to an Android, and you won't need it anymore. It would be very easy to trade it for a good speaker system. The person with the speaker system knows that he can get some good deals for others from pawn shops, but he wants to upgrade from a phone that he has had for three years. Both walk away thinking that they got a great deal and are happy with the outcome. If they were not happy, they wouldn't have traded. Then there is the unhappy possibility. As humans, we always like to compare. We want to see where we stand among each other. If we traded, we would constantly look down upon others, and it might not be possible to be happy with the trades. We would all want to be like the boy who traded a cell phone for a Porsche. I mean, who wouldn't? I think that it is because it is human nature, it would be more likely that we all would be dissatisfied with our lives, which would promote unhappiness, and this greed would promote crime. In other words, no money is bad for everyone. 
Sure, there have been times where it physically hurts me when I have to pay for something, but is it because I don't like the money or because I don't want to part with it? No one ever complains about having too much money, and as my mom says, money isn't everything, but it makes your life easier. All in all, money is not good or bad. All that it does is enhance your natural tendencies. If you are a frequent shopper, if you had more money, all that you would do is buy more. If you are selfish, you would just do more things for yourself. If you are a generous person, all that you would do is to give more. If you are service oriented, all that you would do is find more ways to serve. Money is the basis for our society so that everyone feels like they are being treated fairly and people are happy. So money is needed and not an evil. Sometimes realizing this can affect your decisions in a marriage and with your family. An exercise that might help is sitting down with your partner and thinking of if you had all the money in the world, what would you do with it? Then you can kind of see the things that really matter to you, and you can narrow down your list of things of okay, that's kind of ridiculous, or okay, we don't really need to do that. But if something is really important to you, find a way to do it cheaper. That way, both people in their relationship can be happy, feel like they're being treated well, and can keep within the budget. You did it again, Madison. Oh, thanks. And you didn't even have to steal anything. <laughs> See, I can find ways to get what I need. See, uh, we've we've covered the money. We've covered the money issue, and you asked a really good question. Do you remember the question you asked in that little story? What would you do if you had all the money in the world? So we're going to do a round robin here. If you had all the money in the world, what would you do, Bryce Tobin? Bacon yacht. <laughs> wow. <laughs> You could float oh, and get and sick eat. on bacon grease. Really? A bacon yacht. Yes, a bacon yacht. Why? Because it's ridiculous and I have all the money in the world. Interesting. You know, a lot of people would just feed the poor. It's a yacht made of bacon. I can feed the poor. I can well, feed all the poor. Wouldn't you be yachtless if you fed all the poor your I bacon? still have all the money. Another bacon yacht. Make another bacon a yacht. A fleet of bacon yachts. Okay. That is the weirdest thing I've ever heard. Skyboy, what would you do? And try to beat Bacon Yacht, for crying out loud. Are these selfish things? No, you, yeah, you can do anything you want. It just depends if you're a selfish person. Well, I'm going to do a selfish thing. <laughs> okay, that's all right. I would, I would like to have some easy access to space and then like some, like maybe build something in space where I can go hang out. Really? Yeah. I to think- go get some space. Um, no, just to go to space. He needs space. <laughs> you totally need your space. And then yeah. I, I, it'd be kind of cool to So jump you'd have out a little spaceship like with a space portal tube that will shoot you up and down to Earth. Yeah, we're just a rocket ship. That would be pretty cool. That's neat. Nothing. Yeah. You know, would you take other people with you or yeah. are you just going for space? No, I would, I would go just hang out. We could have parties up there. <laughs> That's really good. Madison? Uh, would you want to go to a party in space? <laughs> That'd be a cool party. Um, kind of what though. I think about is like the main reason why I want to have a career and stuff is for security for my family and stuff yes. like that. But if I had all the money in the world, like if I if money wasn't an object, so I knew that that security was there, I would probably travel the world and help people because that's something that I've just always wanted to do. That's cool. So you just serve. Yeah. All over the world. Mm-hmm. Would you? Would you? You know, buy stuff. Um. Well, like Come the on. thing that I would, would you think buy about... little like knickknacks. No, 
I would she probably buy that. a house. Okay. <laughs> I'll, just, I'll just do that. No, I would like buy a house so that like my family has that security. Because really, sure. that's like the only thing yeah. that is just serve the my world. family. Yeah, that's just, I don't do. that's good. Okay, <laughs> Robbie, what would you do? Given this a lot of thought, I think it involves a car. I know it does. It actually it does. How did I know that? And a road. I bet you'd buy a road. <laughs> I, I might as well just stop there. Route one. What's so it called? I, no, seriously, no, no joke. This is what I was going to say. I would go up to the desert north of L.A. Between land, if you're familiar with Southern California, yeah, Lancaster, Lancaster, and Victorville. Uh huh. Been there, done that. And I would spend my money building my own personal freeway back and forth between them, so I could drive on it really, really fast. Wow. <laughs> and then after about a year or so, and I've gotten bored with it, I just call up Caltrans and say, hey, guys, got a gift for you, and just give them the keys to it, so Look to speak. Look at you. And then I'd go somewhere else that might need a freeway and do the same thing. Build another personal freeway for a couple years. You guys. Give it away. I'm proud of you. I'm proud of every one of you. <laughs> this is one room just full of ambition. There's a lot of ambition. I would hoard <laughs> all the money. yacht to building freeways. <laughs> you know what? You guys are good people. Good people. Uh, I really... I don't know what I'd do. My, my life wouldn't change a whole lot. I, I mean, I already have all the money I need. I make dozens of dollars. You're loaded. You make $50 a day? I oh just bought gosh. a MacBook, for crying out loud. What else do you need? You know, sure. Matt, I've noticed something in my life. What? Whenever I get more money, oddly enough, I can still spend all of it. So, I don't know. <laughs> just saying. Just that's saying. A neat, that's a unique <laughs> gift you've got there. <laughs> Good work, BT. Hey, folks, thanks for joining us. Uh, we love being with you, and we hope we lift your life a little bit. Please take care of each other out there, and join us again tomorrow right here on the Matt Townsend Show on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio.